The gospel is a self-validating message. I'm Femi Osibin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. In John chapter 20, the resurrection narrative, we have accounts of Jesus validating his message to believers on various levels. And in those accounts, we see that each person is given the very thing that they need to come to a full measure of truth. If we allow people today the same space to reach truth and allow the gospel to prove itself to them where they need it to, it will and bear fruits in their lives. Hopefully, this message will get you to consider not just your journey to truth, but also those with whom you encounter it with and share the opportunity to be disciples of Christ in this life. I hope this message helps you and those whom you minister to. In our study with uh, Jonah, we saw that the message of God is not validated by the messenger, but is validated by God himself. And that no matter how the person receiving or delivering the message feels about it, God's word will not go out void. And as we think about where we are in our study in the book of John, we recognize that we have come to chapter 20, almost the end of this uh, gospel. And we see that Jesus has just been crucified. He's been buried. And what we're going to see is his empty tomb. And what happens in this empty tomb is that a message goes out. And this message is simply that the Lord is risen. He's no longer dead. And it, it shows to those who have faith in him that everything that he has said prior to being crucified, buried, and resurrected is true. He is the Son of God. And there is a response for those who have put faith in him. And that response is to go out and proclaim this message. You see, that message that Jesus is the Son of God is validated by Jesus himself. It's not validated by the one professing it. All the one professing it can do is share it. We cannot make nobody believe it. We can't make somebody accept it. And each and every person has to come to faith on their own terms as God, as Jesus is working with them to bring them to the point of understanding where he wants them to be. So that kind of frees us. That gives us a little bit of assurance that if we just go out and just tell people that Jesus is risen, and because he's risen, this is a proper response, and this is what he's calling you to. We don't have to worry about making sure that our words are true, because God will do that. We don't have to make sure that the people that we tell will have faith, because God's going to work with each and every person individually as he sees fit. All we must do is when we have come to faith, believe Jesus and submit our wills to his. What we're going to do is we're going to read chapter 20 its entirety, and we're going to primarily look at Mary, Thomas, Peter, and John. Because these are the people that are interacting with Jesus, and these are the ones that are named in this chapter, and these are the ones, to some level, all come to belief and have faith in Jesus after he's raised, and they all come about it in different ways. And what's interesting is it starts with a proclamation 
that this tomb is empty and a proclamation from the lips of Mary. And that proceeds to the rest of the story. We'll break it down as we read it. But there's something that um, kind of reminds us of Jonah, like the person who tells the story is only important to Jesus, not to the recipients. Because in this context of first century, when women testified, their word wasn't held as valid. So God says, Jesus shows the first person whom goes out and tells, who testifies, who witnesses to the fact that the tomb is empty, is a person in that society whose voice, whose word, whose opinion would not really hold up in the court of law. And he's showing us that it doesn't matter about the person who delivers the message because the message is true. Jesus is risen. And because he's risen, that demands a response from all people that God is going to judge and God is going to do something with how we interact with that. But each and every person has a responsibility to come to faith on their own. So as they do, if we're in faith, we can't judge or speed up another person's process. All we can do is try to encourage, walk with, and uh, exemplify what that faith looks like. John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. As for yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the marks on the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then said he to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it at my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This story. At least this part of it is trying to get us to understand that Jesus did raise from the dead. It's trying to get us to understand, to see that what Jesus has told his disciples, what Jesus has told Mary is all I want you to do is go out and to tell people about me. And it should be understood that in telling people about God, about Jesus, about this resurrection that he had, you also call them into a way of life. And that way of life, we are held accountable because we see that Jesus has told his disciples that we must acknowledge sin, but we also have some type of authority to forgive of sins and that's going to be upheld in heaven and sins, if they're not forgiven, that's going to be honored in heaven as well. That's what he told the disciples. So this message that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is the Christ also has a message embedded in it that there is a right and a wrong way to live and that we will be held accountable to God and each other in regards to how we accept this message of Christ. But it's interesting as we look at it that the biggest task for these people in this story was to tell believers that Jesus has risen. Mary goes, sees the tomb empty, goes and gets Peter and John. Peter and John come and they see 
and what we're told that John specifically sees and he believes. The question becomes, what does he believe? It says right here that they had not understood that Jesus was to raise the first day of the week. Where is that? Chapter uh, 20, verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must raise from the dead. So I believe that what he believed was that Jesus was going to the Father. That's what he told him that he would do in John chapter uh, 14, 15, 16, that he's going to go to the Father and he's going to prepare a place for them. And when John comes and he sees this empty tomb, he believes something that Jesus told him. And I believe that he believed that Jesus was going to the Father to prepare a place for them because he had not known about the resurrection. But what does he do? He goes with Peter afterwards, and they're with the other disciples. Ten to be exact, because Thomas is not present. And I'm pretty sure that Peter and John are explaining what they have seen. But what happens? After they leave, Mary is still there. And she goes into the tomb, and she sees something different than what John and Peter saw. What does she see? She sees two angels sitting at the head and foot where Jesus was laid. She speaks to the angels, seeking to find the body of Christ, weeping because she believes that he has been taken and desecrated and marring the fact that he was buried, putting a stain on it. She turns around, supposing it's a gardener, asks for his body. And what happens? Christ reveals to her himself risen. And what does he do? He tells her to go tell his brothers that he is going to his father, their father, his God, their God. So she is given this message to go and deliver that Jesus Christ is risen and she has seen him to these same apostles, these same disciples, two of which just left. Which is interesting. Why didn't Jesus disappear before them himself? Why does he have Mary go tell? Well, we'll never know. But that's what he does. And so later that day, I presume after Mary has told them, after Peter and John have told them about what they saw, Jesus appears in the midst of the ten. Judas has betrayed Christ. Thomas is not there. And what does he tell them? He says, I'm sending you as God has sent me to deliver a message that I have risen, that the Messiah is offering salvation to all those who will believe like you believe. And what do they do? They tell Thomas and what does Thomas say? I think we beat Thomas up a little bit too much at times because we call him Doubting Thomas. But Thomas, he just basically said, I want the same validation that you had that Jesus Christ is risen. Because what does Jesus do when he appears before the, the tent? Shows him his hand. Shows him his side. And I'm pretty sure in the reciting of the incidents that happened in that closed room, the apostles, the disciples, 
had told Thomas, we have seen Jesus. His tomb is empty. He appeared to us. His hands were pierced. His side was pierced. His feet pierced. He's really alive. And Thomas is saying, I want to see the same thing that you saw. I want to have the same experience that you had. And then I will believe. If I don't, then I won't believe. Because I know what happens to people who are killed. They die and then they're no longer. So I want to see Jesus for myself. And in this story, we get three levels of Jesus showing himself to people that causes belief. The first one with John. John understood some teaching, some words that Jesus has said. And when he sees that he's not in this tomb, that the linen wraps are folded up and his, his towel that goes over his face is placed somewhere else neatly, he believes based upon what Jesus had said, but he sees an empty body. He believes because he knows something. He's heard something. Mary, she actually talks to Christ and she sees Jesus in physical form. He calls her. They have a conversation and she believes because she talked to Christ. And Thomas, he sees Jesus and what he desires to do is touch Jesus on his, on his wounds. And he believes and says, my Lord, my God. And so what we have is a person brought to belief because of what they know from what they hear. A person brought to belief because of what they see and what they said. And another person brought to belief because of what they touch. And three different ways that people are brought to belief, but it's all upon the same thing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he's raised from the dead. And what, what they cannot do is they cannot invalidate the process for each one to come to that belief. What I think is interesting also is the fact that Jesus does not hold the disciples guilty for abandoning him. Because it was just three days ago to where he was being tried and about to be crucified to where they all scattered and they left. Yet he raises up from the dead and they go to this empty tomb and they're meeting together at a house, and he just appears. And what does he do? He validates them. Gives them the spirit. He doesn't scold them. He doesn't get mad because they had abandoned him. No. He shows that he is the son of God, and he tells them to go out and tell people. And even when Thomas who's not at church, as we would call it, who's not there at that, that gathering on that Sunday, when he's there at that next Sunday, he doesn't say, Thomas, you should have been there. They don't condemn Thomas for not being there. What does Jesus do? He appears and he says, Thomas, let me show you that I am the Christ. 
let me validate myself so that you can have faith because you need to go out and tell this message to others. And it's okay you weren't here last week. I'm not condemning you. I'm not scolding you. I'm not going to ridicule you. I've forgiven all of y'all because what I really want is you guys to have faith to go out and tell this message. And so Jesus doesn't hold the apostles guilty for abandoning him. The apostles don't look down on Thomas, neither does Jesus for not being there in that service, in that gathering. And everybody, including Mary, is brought to an understanding that Jesus is the Son of God and they believe. And what's interesting, and I think what's informative for us is that each and every person had a different path to the same end goal. And no matter what path it took for a person to get to that faith, nobody else can discredit it. And so as we think about people today and trying to give them the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we must recognize that for some, all we need to do is show them Scripture. Like John understood Scripture. He saw that the tomb was empty, put two and two together. I believe. For others, it's going to be a little bit more intimate. They're going to have to see some things. They're going to have to experience God working in their lives at a little bit more intimate level like Mary. Mary, Rabboni. And she sees, talks to, witnesses Christ in the flesh. As some people, they have to see, witness Christ in the flesh interacting with them on a very personal level. That's going to cause them to have faith. And then others, like Thomas, is I can't go by what you're telling me you experienced. I need to have the same experience as you. I need to feel it too. I need to touch his wounds. I need to see the Christ. And so sometimes it's not talking and and telling a person, but walking with them so that they can see that they have the same experience with Jesus as you are having, and that's going to deepen their faith and get them to the point to where they believe. But what we're talking about in each and every case is people who are supposed to understand who Jesus is. So we must also be patient in our assessment especially of our brothers and sisters, of their spiritual and, 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 and biblical maturity. Because Jesus is working with each person at a very intimate level, showing them what they need to see so that they can believe. And nobody can assess another person's process. Now we can... Want them to grow, accelerate, deepen their faith at a pace that we feel comfortable with. But we know that's not how life works. Everybody must go at their own pace. Everybody must build that relationship with Jesus on their own personal time. And when that happens, Jesus will justify himself and they will come to fully believe as God would like.
Think about your growth process. What did it take for you to get to the point to where you fully believe that Jesus was the Christ? Did it happen overnight? Was it because something you just heard, something you saw, or something that you had a physical experience with? And then as you think about that, think about were there others who were a little bit more mature than you, others who had saw something more than you, others who had known a little bit more than you, were they condemning you? If so, how did that make you feel? Or were they encouraging you? If so, how did that make you feel? Because in both situations, we can learn something from it. And I think it's something to be said about the fact that Thomas is not ridiculed. He missed the gathering. Sometimes people miss church. And what we should do is encourage them so that they'll want to be in the midst of God's people. So that they'll want to experience what those who was at the gathering experienced so that they can have the same faith and be sent out with the same commission to go tell the same story. But that won't happen if when a person misses the gathering and people are talking down upon them. People are condemning them. People are making them feel like you missed out so now you are less than us. No. We have to be loving because what Jesus shows is that he's willing to meet Thomas where he's at and give Thomas the same experience that he gave the other 10 previously. Which is a beautiful thing because we know that in some aspects of each and every person's lives, they're weak. In other aspects, they're strong. So if we were to look at ourselves and our strengths opposed to others, we find I'm better than you in that. And I can make you feel bad because you are not as good as me. And then you can look at the parts to where you're weak. And you can beat yourself up and say, I'm no good at that. I'm not worthy to bear the name of Christian. And that could cause us to falter in doing what God calls us to do. Which really is tell people that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. In doing that, we don't consider who we are in other people's eyes. We consider who we are in Jesus' eyes. Mary, go tell my brothers that I'm risen. You're going to tell somebody who in that day in the court of law's testimony would not be honored to give the most important message that man has ever heard to the people who would go out and tell them. He could have easily had two angels sitting there with Peter and John, but he didn't. He just had the empty tomb. And what he does is Mary, the one who anointed his feet, the one 
who who cried because she understood what Jesus meant to her. And I'm pretty sure as she's crying, she she remembers the fact that he raised her brother from the dead and all that he's done for her. Jesus shows himself to her first and says, go, tell this message. And then the very ones whom he walked with, who, who he shared life experiences with, who abandoned him, he shows himself to them and he says, go. You think of some of the stories of the apostles. Peter acknowledges that Jesus is the Christ. Peter says, I'm going to die with you. Peter cut off Malchus's ear. Peter denied Christ. Peter also encouraged Christ not to go to the garden. And what does Jesus have to tell him? Get thee behind me, Satan. I love you. Just go tell this message. He sees them for who they are. And what they can be. Just like he sees us for who we are. And what we can be. His brothers and sisters. Those adopted by God. With the simple commission to go. It's a beautiful thing. Because we recognize that it's not about us. It's about the one who came and gave his life for us. But being that it is about Jesus. We have a standard in which to live by. And that standard When we go tell this story, we must also know that the telling of the story is coupled with the living in a way that testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that showed the standard of life as well. Because what does he tell them? Those sins that you forgive, I'll forgive. Those sins you don't forgive, I won't forgive. It's not as if they have the right to just arbitrarily say what is sin and what is not sin and who's who's forgiven and who's not forgiven. No, they're going by Jesus' commands. They're going by the doctrine that Jesus came and left. But there's also a standard that they must live by and the standard that they're going to be judging others on. And that tells us there's a standard for us. And that we have some authority that God is going to honor because we are putting ourselves under his authority. There's a standard. And so in telling this message, we're also calling people to something other than this world we're calling them out of. Because, because we're being called to life eternal. And being that we will have eternal life, there's a way that we need to be. It's loving. It's forgiving. It's accepting of those who accept Christ. And it's being people who are just willing to share the message that the Christ has risen and death could not defeat him Because he holds the keys to life and he's willing to give that life to everybody who believes. That's the message for the day. I hope that as we go out in our lives, we get to have experiences to where we can share our faith. 
to others. We could tell other people about this risen Christ. And we don't judge them. We just tell them. And we don't demand that they meet certain marks spiritually. We just pray for them. And let God, let Jesus meet them where they're at to bring him to where he wants us all to be. And I believe we do that. We will see more and more people that we encounter in this life in heaven because we had a heart to speak of the one who came from there. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son Jesus to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.